You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on September 10, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. I'm mainly dealing with the first 25 verses, but uh, there are 27 verses, and uh, a number of the later verses have to deal with uh, prophecy, and I'm not I'm not uh, doing the exposition of those latter verses, but uh, we're dealing with the prayer of Daniel today. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, or spoken your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day to the men of Judah to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel. So those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster for under the whole heaven such as never have never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, 
Jerusalem and all your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. The sanctuary being the temple, of course. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth and the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. To the end of it shall be a flood until the end of the war, war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Be gracious, Heavenly Father, as we consider these words this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would bless them to us, that you would give us a greater understanding that, and that you would help us to apply the thoughts here to our own lives and, and as a church collectively. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it difficult for Christians to pray? And if it is difficult, why is it difficult for Christians to pray? Now, for those of us who have children, I'm sure you can remember their prayers as you first taught them how to pray. In those early days, your children's prayers, uh, they often turned out to be like a Christmas or a birthday wish list. 
Obviously, you never wanted to dampen your child's faith, but there is merit in teaching a biblical view of prayer. Friends, we don't have to be children to have a misunderstanding of prayer. Too many people of all ages tend to view, to, tend to view God as some sort of cosmic vending machine that dispenses blessings at the touch of a button. Even Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, how should we pray? Now, as we come to Daniel, we know that he was a wonderful Old Testament saint. He was an inspirational character and he considered prayer to be vitally important. And we've already learned today that he would retreat three times a day. He would stop from his daily chores to pray. And such behaviour eventually had him thrown into a lion's den. From Daniel's life we can learn to live as a believer in our world, in our world that is hostile often to the things of God. In Daniel 9 we, we find one of the longest prayers in the Bible. This prayer took place in the first year of King Darius of the Medes and Persians over the Babylonians. In Daniel 9, Daniel was reading his scriptures as he began to pray. He was reading his Bible. He was specifically reading from the book of Jeremiah. In Daniel's time, the writings of Jeremiah were not that old. Jeremiah's writings were recent. They were written when Daniel was a boy. There's no doubt that Daniel knew these writings well and this wouldn't have been the first time that he meditated on Jeremiah's passages. How long would they wait before they could return to Judah? And Jeremiah had prophesied that Jerusalem would lay desolate for a period of 70 years. The 70 years was almost completed and Daniel was meditating on this unfulfilled prophecy. Of course, we know that Daniel was also a prophet, a prophet whom God had revealed revelations and visions. Yet Daniel here is studying the scriptures. His desire was that his heart and his mind were informed by the scripture. He turned to God through God's word so that he was conformed to God's word. Now Daniel, of course, had been the prime minister. He'd been a great prime minister to one of the great monarchs on earth. And yet the main desire of his heart was to converse with God through his word and through prayer. Friends, the greatest and the best men and women of the world do not think of themselves above their Bibles. We live in a hectic world full of busyness. Yet do we have time for God and for his word? Do we have time for prayer? None of us are doing such a great work more important than Daniel. Yet Daniel had time for God, for the scriptures and for prayer. So there's a great lesson for us here. As Daniel is reading Jeremiah 
He contemplates. He contemplates that the 70 years is almost completed. And whilst in captivity, you're, you're thinking 70 years is almost up and we're going to return to our homeland. Maybe let's throw a party. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. No, Daniel goes to prayer. Even though he knew that God would keep his promise, Daniel goes to prayer. He recognises God's sovereignty and remembers man's responsibility. In the first three verses of Daniel 9, we learn something about the context and the content of true Christian prayer. We learn that true prayer is grounded in the word of God because God has promised a specific end to this captivity. Daniel felt the responsibility to pray with the theme for God to do what he had promised. For God to do what he had promised. Now this won't make any sense unless you believe in the sovereignty of God. What the Bible says about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, they go together. If God says that he's going to do something, like end this captivity, why bother praying for it? Well, the answer is because God desires us to respond to the promises of his word. And Daniel's prayer is the perfect model for praying. It's perfect because it begins and continues in a spirit of worship. Daniel makes no attempt to blame others for the misery they're in. Verse 4 says, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. He begins his prayer in the adoration of God. Now this isn't uh, some false flattery here, but rather a genuine love and trust in the triune God. Daniel doesn't begin with petitions for what he wants. He doesn't pray to God to take him back home to Jerusalem. Daniel trusted in God's word and he believed and he remembered God's promise to Abraham. Despite the fact that this main remnant of Abraham here in captivity in Babylon, Daniel still trusted that God would keep his promises. God is a, a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. We all need to re be reminded of God's promises. God doesn't break his word like we so often do. If God says he'll do something, then he will. We all need to remember and believe this continually. So what is the summary of Daniel's prayer? Well, the summary is that God's will be done. God's will be done. Lord, do as you said and establish your kingdom just like you said you would. Because Daniel prayed the prayer, his prayer becomes an instrument of God's activity on earth. The great Charles Spurgeon compared prayer to a homing pigeon. Prayer begins in the heart of God it is sent out and it lands in the heart of God's people 
who then send it back to the heart of God. This is how Christian prayer works. God moves in his people to pray in accordance with his word, with the content of God's promises found in his word. God's people understand this in their, in their hearts and they lift that prayer back to God, back up to God. It comes to them from God, they send it back to God, just like the homing pigeon is released and finds its home. God's promises should excite us to pray because God wants us to align our hearts and our minds to his will. We just don't wait and see what is going to unfold, but rather we learn God's will through the study of his word and in prayer. This is how we capture the heart of our God. We know that Daniel was a fervent prayer. Prayer got Daniel into trouble in chapter 6. And probably chapter 9 is actually chronologically before chapter 6. The result being that he was thrown into the lion's den. Daniel would only worship the one true and the living God. When Daniel prays fervently, his prayer isn't an afterthought when you climb into bed at night. Is that how you pray? Daniel was known for setting three periods of prayer each day. He prayed morning, midday, and then in the evening. However, on this particular occasion, Daniel has increased his fervour. There's a, a renewed enthusiasm. There's a renewed passion as he humbles himself before God. There is fasting and he wears sackcloth and he's covered in ashes. And wearing sackcloth and ashes is usually used during times of mourning and times of sorrow, especially following the death of a loved one. It is clear that Daniel is passionate, he's fervent and he's motivated as he remembers God's promise to allow the exiles to return to Jerusalem and Judah. Now Daniel's prayer isn't selfish. He's not praying for himself or his own needs, but for the needs of his people. But Daniel is sorrow, sorrowful for Israel's sin, which he includes himself in. Daniel is sorry for the sin of his people and he demonstrates that with sackcloth and ashes. When one of God's people suffers, friends, we all suffer. We all suffer. If we truly love God and we truly love each other, the suffering of one member is also our own suffering. When Christ died for us, he took on the penalty of our sin and he demonstrated the ultimate example of love. When we refer to the promises of God, we often think along the lines of receiving those individually. When we receive God's gift of salvation, it is given individually and the eternal promises are given to us as individual believers. But when we're saved, we become part of the body of Christ, which is his church. And the body of Christ changes our sense 
from being an individual to being corporate, to being a collective, part of a collective. The world today promotes individuality. They even sing a song about it, didn't they? But the Christian faith promotes corporate consideration. Friends, a Christian is not an island unto himself or herself. As members of Christ's church on earth, we all have responsibilities, not only to our Lord but to each other. When one of us is hurting, we all hurt. When one of us is full of joy, then we all feel the joy. When one of us sins, then we all feel the consequence, even if we're not the offender. If one of us is in maturing faith because of sin, then we all have a corporate responsibility to encourage and to pray for growth in faith and understanding and for sanctification that we all may grow together into maturity, into the maturity of the faith. And this should shape how we do ministry. What attitude do we have for the ministries of this church? Do we just pass the buck or do we have an interest? Friends, we need to pray for each other as we all engage in ministry. Now, we have a pretty easy system to pray at the moment. We can meet here at quarter past nine on a Sunday morning and we can come to the prayer meeting every Thursday night online. Even if you don't pray, we can all give up an hour. Our prayers and our relationship with God is not only just about you individually, it's about us and it concerns each other. Now notice in verse 4, Daniel humbly confesses the covenant that God has with Israel to be revered and to, trust, and to be trusted. And then in verses 5 to 6, he gives a, a sorrowful confession of his people's responsibility in God's judgment. They are in captivity because of God's judgment. In other words, he confesses that Israel deserved the judgment of the exile that God had given to them. Daniel doesn't just confess the sins of those in Israel's past, but he includes himself. Daniel has a corporate identity with Israel's past. In verse 5 he says, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Verse 6 Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets. Now, the book of, of Jeremiah that Daniel's reading from, remember that they didn't treat Jeremiah very well, did they, in the end? O Lord, to us belongs the shame of face to our kings, our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. In verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of our Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And 11, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law. And verse 12, and he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. In Daniel's prayer, 
Daniel immediately confesses to the Lord. The reason we're here in exile is entirely our own fault as a result of our sin. We're not here because God is not a good God. We're not here because our God is not living. We're here because we're sinful and we've rebelled against God. Daniel doesn't excuse himself from this judgment but rather acknowledges that God is righteous in punishing Israel. This is a fact that people have difficulty with today. How can God send someone to hell if he's a loving God? The fact is that God is righteous because he's also just. He executes justice. Mankind deserves punishment for sin. God doesn't have to save anyone. But through his mercy, he's provided a way of escape. When Jesus died on the cross, he completed our redemption by paying the penalty for our sin with his death. God is just, but he's also merciful. And God will show his mercy in keeping his promise to restore Judah and allow a remnant to return and rebuild Jerusalem. And God is faithful to keep his covenant. And Daniel believes that he will do so. So in verses 7 and 8, Daniel acknowledges God's righteousness in punishing Israel. It's not only that he says to the Lord that we're also here because of our sins. He goes on to say, Lord, you are righteous to send us here. You are right, Lord, to punish us. It's like a child going back to a parent who's just been punished. don't know whether this has ever been your experience as parents. And that child says to either mum or dad, you were right to punish me because I sinned. It's a bit like the prodigal son that we spoke about last Sunday. You were right to do what you did. It's an acknowledgement of the Lord's justice. And then in verses 9 to 15, Daniel makes an appeal to God's mercy based on God's compassion not based on Israel's deeds, not based on being deserving, not based on God's compassion, but based on God's compassion. And then in verses 16 to 17, he lifts up a prayer in which he complains to the Lord about the desolate condition of his people. All this Daniel confesses before the Lord. And in verses 16 to 19, he begins to petition. He begins to make supplications. He begins to make requests to the Lord. He requests for the Lord to restore the kingdom of Israel, that he would build up the spiritual condition of Israel. And he offers arguments for why God should honour his promises. Firstly, he calls on God to respond to his prayer because of the honour of his name, because of the honour of his name. And then because of God's city in Jerusalem, then because of God's city in Jer Jerusalem, and then because of God's people, because of God's people, he seeks those things in God which actually belong to God. And again, we learn a lot of things from the way he prays. 
First of all, we learn the true prayer is based on what God has promised that he will do. You go to the word and you discover what God has promised and then you go back to God and say, Lord, please do what you have promised. Just like a child does to a parent. Parents, if you make a promise to a child, guess who reminds you when your memory dims? Do what you promised. That's exactly what God wants his children to do in prayer. I promised you this. Now bring that to me and say, Lord, do what you promised. And this is exactly what Daniel does in his prayer. Notice how God-centred this prayer is. This prayer is beginning from the beginning to the end, seeks God's glory. He doesn't say, Lord, do what you promised because we're such a deserving people or we're such a wonderful people. He says, Lord, do what you have promised because of your name and because of your reputation because that's your city, Jerusalem. That's your city which lies desolate and because we are your people, we belong to you. Please answer these prayers, not for our sake, but for your sake, for your name, for your reputation and for your honour and your glory. This prayer appeals to God's covenant mercy over and over again. And Daniel reminds himself in this prayer in verses 8, 11, 12 and 18 how God's covenant mercy had been shown towards Israel. Daniel's prayer doesn't try and escape the issue of sin and misery. It doesn't try to escape responsibility. It faces the responsibility of sin and the result of misery full on. Daniel acknowledges that God's people deserve to be punished. It doesn't bypass sin and misery. It expresses the plight of God's people to the Lord and asks him to forgive them. All those things we learn from Daniel's prayer of confession. And then in verses 20 to 23, we learn something quite unique and wonderfully glorious. In those verses, we learn that Daniel's prayer is heard. And we have a description given to us as to what happened in heaven when Daniel prayed. Now, we need to treat this precisely because we don't have many examples of this. There are some examples of what happens in heaven in the book of Revelation when Christians pray. So treat these verses very carefully and treat them as precious because these verses teach us that God always hears true prayer. In verses 20 to 21, you can see the reality of God hearing our prayers. We're told in those verses that when Daniel prayed, God sent Gabriel. Look at those verses. What is God telling us here? God is telling us that he always hears our prayers immediately, even if God's answers are delayed. He hears your prayers immediately. His heart is immediately with his people. And in this case, he sent an angel to interrupt Daniel in the middle of his prayer to assure him that his prayer has been heard in heaven. 
In verse 23, Gabriel gives Daniel a benediction, a blessing that comes from God himself. He says that Daniel is a man greatly loved, a man greatly loved. Can you imagine a greeting from heaven that informs you that you are dearly beloved, the dearly beloved of God? Well, the scripture tells us that you are, but to have this come through this message is a wonderful blessing and it's such an encouraging thing. And yet every time we pray, based on the merits of Christ, in Christ's name, we must realise that God has not simply sent an angel, but he's sent his own son to assure us of his love because he died on your behalf and on my behalf. He sent not an angel, he sent his son. Every time we say in Jesus' name, we should be mindful of this. Now, I want to know two things that we learn in verse 21. Daniel says, Gabriel came to him about the time of evening sacrifice or evening offering. Daniel doesn't draw attention to this, but says it in passing. And this is one of the most moving phrases in this passage because it reminds us that it's been decades since Daniel, of course, has been in Jerusalem at the time of the evening offering. Yet his heart was still being sent or being set up by the worship of God. Morning and evening in the sacrifices in the temple. It's an almost incidental statement, but Daniel has not forgotten. When God answers Daniel's prayer, God gives Daniel more than he asked. God's people will return to Judah, but there is more. God responded to Daniel's prayer by saying, Daniel, there's something greater going on here. And it was in response to this prayer of Daniel that God set in motion the prophecies leading to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Daniel prayed for the end of exile, but God answered Daniel in part. Your prayers have been answered, but I want to tell you more. I want to tell you of the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. In verse 25, God always answers our prayers beyond our wildest dreams and hopes because his mercy is beyond our expectations. Friends, what does this mean for us today? When you pray, do you trust and believe God? Do you pray according to what God says in his word? Do you seek the heart of God to know how to pray? Now, let me reassure you about something. We don't have to be ultra-spiritual to pray. We don't have to be articulate. We don't have to use all the big words under the sun. And we may not always know all of, God, all of God's word. However, with the knowledge that we do have, may I encourage you to pray and to pray regularly. Pray to your Father in heaven. Ask him for a changed heart. 
that seeks to do God's will here on earth for yourself, for your spouse, for your family, for our fellowship here at Essendon and for the lost around us in our families and our friends and our neighbours. You see, we all need Jesus. Everyone in this whole world needs Jesus. We all need his saving love and his grace and his mercy. We all need to come before him in faith and in repentance and confess our sins and seek God's will for our life. Do you believe this? Well, may this week we put some of that into action in the way we pray, individually and corporately. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great reminder of the way Daniel prayed. And he prayed through knowing your word. Help us to know your word. But Lord, help us to pray. Pray regularly. To seek your will. To seek your mind. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church dot org dot au or wherever you get your podcasts from.